Before we get going, I just have to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to every single chiropractor who cares for children, to every single chiropractic assistant who props us up on a daily basis, and every single chiropractic patient who values what we do. It has been and continues to be an absolute honor to care for the folks in my community. If you are being turned on to our podcast by a friend or family member, but are not under chiropractic care, my hope, my wish, is that you find a chiropractor in your town and see what true principled chiropractic care can do for your children, for you, and for your family. This show is committed to engaging the docs who perform miracles in their offices to help better understand what we do and how you can benefit. For more information, please visit my clinic on the web at www.chirobeacon.com or call us from the continental U.S. at 805-481-1566. If we can't see you, we'll find you someone who can. Today's podcast is brought to you by our very good friends at Practice Evolution Prime. Practice Evolution Prime was created to bridge the gap from school to success. You can be successful, you should be successful, and being successful takes work. You have to gain the skills and foundation to be the sought-after family chiropractor. Our goal is to create extraordinary family chiropractors. This program is not easy. It will challenge you. It will push you. We choose to only work with doctors and students who are teachable, principled, and willing to work hard to improve their skills, practice, and their lives. If you are interested in learning more about this program or to apply, visit our website at pepprime.com or call the Practice Evolution Program at 801-281-1646. Hey everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care, for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare community to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach. I thought that for our inaugural show, it would be only fitting to hear from one of my best friends, a true pioneer and an often unsung hero in our profession. Dr. Stanton Hom is a prenatal and pediatric chiropractor. He is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and experienced a profound change in his life when he became a chiropractic patient as he got out of the military in 2005. He graduated from chiropractic school in 2010 after having mentored hundreds of students globally as president of the World Congress of Chiropractic Students. He's since established one of the go-to practices for whole family chiropractic care in San Diego, California. Hey, buddy. How you doing? How you doing, Dan? Good to be on, man. Yeah, I uh, I have to uh, make a disclaimer. Uh, Stan and I tried to record a uh, an episode a couple days back, and I'm uh, I'm an idiot. I um, I erased all the content that we had by accident, and uh, I'm really upset about it because whenever Stan gets on the mic, uh, he just spouts knowledge. So we're gonna try to recreate this and uh, and see how it goes. All right. Um, so getting started, Stan, you you have a a, a pretty awesome history in our profession. 
Um, your brother's a chiropractor, and I know you know he kind of steered you into our profession. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into chiropractic in the first place? Yeah, man. Um, I might have to rewind a little bit just because I um, <clears throat> when I I left home when I was seventeen. It was two weeks after high school graduation, and and I was you know two weeks later I was immersed in in basic training at West Point and. Fast forward nine years, fast forward a year in Iraq, fast forward, you know, one deployment and, you know, several field training exercises and all sorts of military stress. And uh, in 2005, I, I moved to San Diego with zero plan whatsoever besides, you know, knowing that something, one, was calling me, but two, I had to, I had to create some sort of change in my life. And uh, my brother offered to, to go into his practice and to be a patient, you know, I got to be his roommate as well. And it's crazy, man. You know, within six weeks, I felt like I was a completely different person. I felt like you turn, like you turn back the clock almost to that 17 years of age. And I could literally do basic training all over again. It was kind of nuts. And then six months later, he looked me in the face and he was like, dude, you're, you're actually my healthiest patient now. And so it was kind of a crazy experience to like, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I have that chiropractic miracle story where I was like, you know, where I had something and, and it was like an instant change. But over the course of a good amount of time, I felt my body heal itself. And that's the one major principle that he taught me was that, you know, everything that happens in the body happens for a reason and happens through the nervous system and, and the self-healing capacity of that is, you know, totally possible. And, and, and for me at that time, I didn't really know that I was super, I didn't know that I was super sick. I knew I was super stressed and long and short of it was like, I had no idea how great I could feel and it was kind of nuts, man. Well, and that's, that's apropos to, you know, kind of the mission of our, our podcast, which is to introduce the concepts of vitalism and holism, alternative care, specifically chiropractic care with respect to children. And, you know, your experience, especially having, you know, been been deployed and, um, and dealing with the stresses of, of active duty military life, um, in a lot of ways, it, it shadows some of the things that we see in the children that we take care of. I mean, you have a robust pediatric practice, you take care of lots of kids. Uh, as as I do, um, draw a line for our listeners. The majority of our listeners are, are going to be parents who are either chiropractic patients themselves, their their kids are under care, or they're just sort of trying to figure this whole thing out. Draw a line between that stress that you experienced uh, before really getting under care with your brother and the stresses that we see in the children that we care for in our practices. That's kind of, that's crazy, Dan. Like, I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because, you know, when we see these kiddos, and you know, you know, just as much as I do, is we're seeing chronicity in, we're, we're seeing chronic stress in, actually, in babies, right? You're seeing chronic patterns of, of neurological demise in infants, and it's like, why you know why would that even be possible too and then you see them all the way through toddlerhood and you see them through you know like their younger years and through teenage and like it's kind of wild you know something as simple as type 2 diabetes 
formerly formerly being called adult onset diabetes and now it's called type 2 diabetes because they're it's being found in kids as young as 5 right so chronic inflammation chronic dysglycemia blood sugar issues chronic neurological problems subluxation patterns um, yeah like it's crazy because you do an you do an exam on an infant and you can actually see chronicity of stress, already. which which is insane because you know and I brought this up to to Doctor Ogie, uh, which will will air in a couple of weeks after Doctor Stan's interview, and you know I asked him because he's been in practice since the nineteen seventies, and I'm like, do you do you feel that chronicity and disease in our children is worsening? And his response is absolutely. And it had, it had even been worse when he started practice in the seventies than it was even before then. So there's a trend, you know, and I tell my parents when they come to the door, uh, when they suspect that there's something wrong, they're, they're usually right. Usually yeah. right. It's not in their head. And, and a lot of the time it's just being, uh, kind of shrug off uh, by by the traditional healers in our community as well. It's it's pretty common for that to happen. It's pretty common for a child to be constipated for 10, 12, 14 days at a time. But it doesn't make it any more okay. It just means yeah. that a lot, the, the vast majority of the kids that we're seeing are, are pretty sick. They're not expressing that innate healing directive that we know that they're capable of. So, you know, the question I think I have for you, Stan, because you have a pretty unique perspective on this, is is why do you think that is? Why do you think it's getting worse? Um, something I say to every expectant mama in my practice, and I don't know why I am one of the first, if not the first, at least 80 or 90% of the time to, to even mention this, right, is, you know, did you know the first system in utero that's formed is a nervous system? Did you know that the only system completely surrounded by bone is the nervous system? You know, and and what I also say is, hey, by week 19, by by week 20, there are primitive reflexes programmed in the baby that actually assist in labor and delivery, right? ATNR, gallant reflex, things like that, right? And and it's kind of wild because there's a perception that baby is this kind of amorphous blob of, you know, obviously life and things like that, but amorphous blob of tissue that you have to fire out of you know, the pelvis. And it's like, you have to push the baby out. It's like, well, how about, how about the idea that two half cells, um, 280 days or so later, uh, turn into three, you know, 37.4 to 50 trillion cells, um, that's pretty brilliant, you know, without ever having any sort of like conscious thought into actually building a baby, right? So I think the primary reason why I'm bringing this up is the number one reason is we have no conscious like, like as, as a conscious collective of a, of a community, whether it's our, whether it's our state or our country or San Diego where I am, like we don't have a conscious collective, we don't have a consciousness towards that connection, that wisdom in the body. And because we've gone so far away from that, literally any sort of trajectory away from that, I think that's the great word that you said, the changing trajectory of healthcare is because the current model of healthcare has no influence or any sort of focus on that wisdom in the body. That, that disconnection that you're describing yeah. is is almost palpable. Um, I was, I was smiling while you were talking about primitive reflexes because, um, you know, I, I do new patient workshops in my office every two weeks and 
one of the slides that I use, you've seen this slide, right? It's, it's a picture of um, a child in utero uh, sucking his thumb. And the reason that I show that picture is because it, it illustrates very perfectly that a child in utero is essentially to being, practicing to being a full-fledged human being. Right. The first three primitive reflexes that I check for on a newborn baby, and I want to check them as soon as humanly possible, is I want to see a moral reflex. A moral reflex is a very simple startle reflex that babies need to increase their general adaptive potential, which is a word that Stan uses a lot. Um, I check their rooting reflex, their ability to find a target with their mouths. And then third, I check their suckle reflex, their ability to be able to suckle without uh, being prompted, meaning they find the nipple, they get on top of it, and they start getting food supply, right? There are three programs that babies are required to fulfill when they're born. They need to sleep, they need to poop, and they need to eat. And if they can't do those things, their general adaptive potential starts to decrease. And I think we've, we've been very cavalier as a culture to suggest that if a baby can't poop or a baby can't sleep or a baby can't eat, that we can sort of supplant that with technology or with formula or with whatever, right? As opposed to trying to find out what's causing those problems from, or from uh, causing those those reflexes uh, for, to not work appropriately, and restoring that biological directive. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Stan. I, I I see all too often. It's almost a naivete. It's not to blame our parents because God knows our parents are doing no exactly what they believe is the right thing to do. But I think we're encouraging as a culture this automation, right? And Dr. Ogie brought this up again, um, this automation of our conception process, our birthing process, and our child rearing, uh, which goes away from the directive that we are programmed for, which is to be connected, uh, to express that healing potential, um, and, and to avoid any potential toxicity to, uh, to our biome, our genome, to you name it, right? Um, I think one of the best things that you said, Dan, was, was the difference between what is common and what is normal, you know, and, and, and something I've been telling a lot of my patients is that actually I want you to be normal, you know, and I don't mean what's common because normal is, like you're saying, this biological directive, this innate intelligence in the body that is absolutely freaking brilliant. It's absolutely freaking beautiful, right? I, that's one of the slides in my new patient talk is that I get to a place where it's like, you know, we talk about, um, I think it's Tony Ebel's model about the four Ds of, of subluxation. And, you know, it's dyskinesia, disaffrontation, dysautonomia, and dyspanesis, right? You know, you have, you have altered movement, altered structure, you have altered perception of the world, you have altered, you know, function through the autonomic system and then you have an altered life experience right and the next slide i'd put normal right normal movement normal perception normal function and then normal life experience and i say i want you to be normal this is the programming like if you've made it to my office we've all come into the world the same way there's no other way to come into the world right we are all coming into the world the same way and we all started a hundred million sperm that egg, right, that egg that month fertilized 100 million, one in 100 million, two half cells, nine months later, 37.4 trillion cells. We all came that way. And people come to me, you know, whether it's adults or whether it's kids or whatever, it's like, if you're here, 
you have enough biological directive. You have enough innate intelligence to heal whatever it is in your body, right? Right, and we take and so, that for granted, right? I mean, the old, totally. the old, um, the old sort of analogy that's used in in chiropractic circles is uh, the um, the analogy or, or the kind of like the the visual that when you break your bone, um, let's say you break your arm, uh, you you don't have to take any real heroic measures to get it to heal it does it on its own right you get a cast but the cast itself doesn't heal the bone it just protects the bone from moving in weird directions so it can set appropriately right but the body does all the healing you know i for parents who have never you know been exposed to chiropractic before or have um uh, certainly never seen a child uh, under chiropractic care before typically chiropractic care is associated with things like back pain and again, I was talking about this with Ogie uh, last last time I, I spoke to him, but uh, it bears repetition because uh, back pain is the most pervasive uh, health problem in, in North America. It accounts for something like 70 to 80% of all doctor's visits, right? You know somebody in your immediate family that has back pain. It's extremely common, but it's not okay, right? We have something like 200 million prescriptions of opiates coming out of our uh, our healthcare system every year, and it's increasing, um, it's skyrocketing actually. And people are taking opiates to address their pain. Usually, it's spine pain. Um, and you know, Stan, being a vet, uh, you can probably empathize with this. Uh, I've seen more vets strung out on on opiates because of musculoskeletal and and spine related problems uh, than I than I care to recall. Um, and so it's becoming a problem, but it's born out of this 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 idea that 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 type of complaint is is normal. All right. Again, we're gonna we're gonna harp on this a lot. There is a big difference between common and normal, and these complaints are so stinking common now that it's becoming commonplace to just take a pill to fix it, right? To fix the symptom. The problem is with spine uh, spine trauma. You take an opiate and it just basically just dampens that pain response, but the problem underneath continues to get worse. When it comes to little kids, um, if we see a kid that has spine pain, we got real problems because kids are not developing that pathway uh, as robustly as adults who have bad posture and constantly damage their spines. But the nervous system can still be affected, right, Stan? It can still be affected in a negative way when we have vertebral subluxation, when we have neurological dissonance in the system that prevents the brain from communicating those very simple instructions about being healthy um, and regenerating uh, down to the cells that need them. Um, I mean, again, the most common thing I see in my practice for newborns is what? Gastrointestinal disturbances, right? Constipation, colic, acid reflux. Um, And that is due in no small part to the trauma that Stan was talking about uh, with respect to coming into the world, right? We all come into the world essentially by the same route, but not necessarily by the same way, right? Right. Um, I find that, and and you you can disagree with me on this one, but I find that... You know, my babies who are born at home tend to do better. Um, and that's not substantiated by any research or data, but it's just substantiated by what we see in our practices. And, I, and the reason that I think that is, is because when moms are laboring at home, they tend to be more patient. They tend to respond to the cues that 
their bodies and their babies are giving them as opposed to going to the hospital. Uh, I remember hearing Stu Fishbein talk on Lindsay Matthews podcast about how the reason that, you know, you know, breach home birth is not really taught anymore is because we have a hospitalist culture of residents in hospitals and L&D departments that pretty much just want to go home. Hospitalists would never, ever, ever um, wait for seven, ten days for a mom to labor it out. Uh, and so, you know, I guess the question, you know, that I have for you, Stan, is, um, you know, being plugged into that community, especially down in San Diego, that tends to be a little bit more progressive. Um, what do you see there? I mean, do you, do you see that there, there being a future for children being born more healthfully and having less uh, incidence of trauma so they can live uh, more, to more potential? You know, I think I think that's one of the best things about San Diego is that the birth community here is so robust. You know, like there there's San Diego Birth Education Center, there's a Cap Wellness Center up in North County now. There's our practice down here, and there's a lot of amazing birth workers down here, right? And they actually have meetings at our office several you know several times a year, and I think that is a huge influence in how babies are born here that said you know we still see the same numbers you know it's like a third right about a third c-section rates and things like that right down in san diego it's about the same and and i don't ever 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 want to demonize marginalized parents at all because like you said they're always doing the best that they can to make the best choices for their little ones it's just a lot of times their awareness isn't or their their education i guess is isn't, I don't want to say education from an academic perspective, but their awareness about their options with birth are totally like influenced in many cases by the hospital system. Right. right? And I I think, I I think, I think it's important just to put a segue in there, Stan. It's, it's, I think it's not so much about, about intellectual understanding. It's about understanding that there are choices, right? The one thing, and, and, and I'll let you continue in just a second, but the one thing that's such a travesty, and we see this all the time because we tend to see a lot of moms who have been through um, a fairly yeah. traumatic birth, and they come into our offices and they say, I never want that to happen again. If I know now when I knew yeah. then, um, or vice versa, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. So, you know, we as chiropractors, especially, you know, prenatal and pediatric chiropractors, you know, that's what we're really, you know, trying to work to, to improve. And, um, I, I think, uh, I think it's important to understand that. Um, anyway, sorry, Stan, I didn't mean to step on your toes. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting, man, you know, like in, as a part of the health, his, health history and, and with every newborn that comes in, it's always talking about the birth story and the birth experience of mom and baby. Right. And, and there is a tangible palpable difference between babies born at home, between babies born at the birth center next door, at you know we have be- we have Best Start Birth Center right next door to our office, and um, and babies born in hospitals, you know, and then we could even change that even further and say that, you know, there's there's a tangible difference between babies born um, vaginally and babies born cesarean, and it's not to say that there's anything to blame mom or dad or or any of the parents about. It's that, like you had mentioned about talking to Dr. Ogie about previously about the automation of life or automation of birth, and at every decision point, you know, there is actually a change in trajectory, right? There's a potential change in trajectory in that genetic adaptive potential, that innate intelligence of the body. And, and what, what we see is exactly what you said earlier. You said that, you know, there's, there's something different about, something very different about 
babies born at home, when moms are allowed to labor at home, they're allowed to like check in and tune in and connect and, and kind of feel out a lot of those cues that generally, once you go into a hospital, it's everything is based on monitoring. You know, everything is based on some sort of external uh, measurement or perception of what's going on in the birth as opposed to what's actually, you know, one of the main questions I ask moms is what does your intuition tell you? I always say that during prenatal appointments because a lot of times they're not even asked that question. They're not asked about, oh, what's, how's baby doing today? You know, how's baby really doing today? You know, like what's baby's attitude? What's baby's personality? It's like so funny how like I'll ask these questions. They're like, it's crazy that you ask that. I'm like, no, it's actually super important that I ask that question, that I need you to tune in. And there's a certain like with the birth potential, right, where a baby is going to be born, there's a birth plan, right, based on whatever that environment is going to be, and there's a plan based on what potential outcomes could go awry, right? And it's one of those things where we always try to tune them back in to that inner wisdom because that's where that healing capacity is, and that's where that ability to birth, like, efficiently and in the most healthful ways there. Right. So they're, they're very much intertwined, their ability to be able to manage stress, the two of them in the process of, of, you know, developing and then eventually giving birth. I think we spent a lot of time, you know, trying to disconnect our moms from our babies, right? Um, <clears throat> there's, in San Louis, there, there's, there's a really, really tough nut to crack with regards to, let's say, for example, a baby's born in the hospital and needs to go to the NICU. It's, it's fairly challenging to get a mom to be able to breastfeed, although it's been getting better from what I understand. Nice. Um, you know, making sure that we have skin on skin contact, making sure that we have that mom's breast milk available, that we have the services that they need to be able to do what they need to do. But, you know, it's still fairly rushed. Our C-section rate is still at least double what it what it is recommended by the World Health Organization to be. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it has a palpable effect on, on our kiddos. Um, you know, I, it's, go ahead. It's kind of interesting, th- something that you mentioned earlier about, like, GI issues or digestive challenges in babies, right? That's probably the number one thing that we see, you know. And, and it's, it is shocking to me. You know, things like proton pump inhibitors, antacids, things like that, right, that are kind of given out like candy. And I ask moms all the time, you know, hey, like, did they tell you when, you know, when to wean or when, you know, baby shouldn't be on this anymore? And it's kind of interesting because you look back to when, you know, when these types of drugs came into the market and they had like a black box warning saying that, hey, there's a limit, right? There's a limit. We know that after 14 days or two weeks that there could be long-term effects on digestive problems right right and it's like actually no the pediatrician didn't mention that at all it's like okay so that's something to pay attention to because that's something that has always been known but we see these commercials that say you know what you're going to, you're going into the diner and you're gonna eat a chili dog why not take a yeah. couple tummies beforehand well, and it's totally fine you know i think it's it's important for parents to understand too that typically with acid reflux a parent gets a, a proton pump inhibitor um or even you know just just something to kind of like deacidify their system. And in reality, there are two things that causes acid reflux in young babies. Number one, it's hypochloridria, right? It's lack of production acid, and it's hiatal hernia. So what are we doing by giving these acid blockers to young babies uh, so that we can dampen their symptoms when in reality we're wiping out the, the acidity of their stomach, which is, it needs to be somewhere between like, what, two and three pH? It needs to be able to break down big molecules. I mean... 
milk has a lot of fat in it, right? That's the point. We need it to help build up their nervous systems. And if you can't break down that fat, which starts in the stomach, then what the heck are we doing, right? Yeah, maybe the baby will sleep a little bit more, but there's still a problem there that has not been addressed. Um, you, you know, I want to take a step back here real quick, Stan, because I think, you know, with, with everything that we're doing here and recording, um, I think it's really important for parents to draw a connection between what we're describing and chiropractic. Because you and I take it for granted, right? The parents that see what we do take it for granted. Chiropractic is extraordinarily simple, but it's made complicated uh, by all the misinformation that we see in the community. Could you do me a favor? Could you just draw a line between between an adjustment, right, correcting a vertebral subluxation to some of the things that we see in our practices? Let's just keep it simple. Let's keep it to constipation. Okay. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Like babies, you know, the grand majority of babies come into the world in the hospital, right? And, and kind of interestingly, you know, we learn in some of our post-grad work that, you know, just even laying on your back can close the vaginal canal by 30%, right? And so we wonder why we have so many different extraction measures and whatnot. And so what, happens and what I see very frequently in my office is an upper cervical subluxation, right? Either cranial, there's disturbance in cranial function, cranial movement, or, and or, you know, they're usually one and the same, uh, some sort of subluxation pattern, some sort of misalignment or some sort of demise in the upper cervical, right? C1, C2. And what that immediately does is it sends baby into like a fight or flight pattern. Right. And in fight or flight, which is a programming, you know, as long as we've had any sort of consciousness as, <laughs> as animals, right, is a sense of, you know, protection and survival mode. Right. And so in that respect, you know, a lot of times we'll go through slides in my, in my new patient talk and we'll go through all the different outcomes of a fight or flight pattern. Right. You perceive stress. Stress always through nature was immediate was life or death was was something like <laughs> like a saber-toothed tiger right and so we'll go through different neurological patterns right or not neurological patterns but physiological patterns we'll go through things like heart rate we'll go through things like blood pressure we'll go through things like cholesterol we'll go through things like blood sugar right and we'll say what goes up what goes down in a fight-or-flight pattern and it's kind of wild how everybody kind of understands like yeah blood pressure is going to go up yeah, cholesterol is going to go up. Yeah, blood sugar is going to go up. And then I'll ask questions like, how about the immune system? What will happen with the immune system when, you know, you're in a fight or flight pattern? And they'll say, well, I don't know. I'll say, well, do you think you need a white blood cell to fend off a saber-toothed tiger? And they're like, no, I don't, I guess not, you know? And I'll ask them about digestion and they'll kind of get it. And they'll say, well, digestion will go down, right? Digestive function will go down. And interestingly, like when I talk about things like what are the most common causes of death and things like that and all the different chronic patterns, like they're all tied light, right? And when you go into things like GI problems, say constipation, like, yeah, like that's one of the primary reasons why, or not one of the primary reasons why we see babies, but one, one of the primary effects of this global physiological patterning of fight or flight, which happens immediately with vertebral subluxation, right? And so 
in a lot of respects, there's two things. I kind of describe two things. I describe there's a global effect, right, of having some sort of subluxation pattern, some sort of misalignment or disconnection between that brain and body, and that's that fight or flight. Or it could be a way crazy parasympathetic imbalance as well, right? It's not always sympathetic, but most cases for me it is. And then there's always something local, right? And if baby comes out, and a lot of times I find that babies have some, if they have some sort of cranial and upper cervical imbalance or some sort of cranial upper cervical subluxation, we'll always find something sacral, right? And if we always find something sacral because they're tied and anatomically connected through the dural attachments or the dural, the dural um, protective coating around the nervous system, and those sacral subluxation, those sacral nerves and the sacral um, uh, plexi are interfered with, then those that go directly to the bowels are going to influence like the ability to eliminate, right? Yeah. And so when we get our hands on babies, one, almost immediately they sense it and they relax system connected right that brain connected to the body the brain understands what's actually happening and it allows it to actually heal 80 percent of my babies when i'm when they're on the table and they're constipated they poop like on the table you know and sometimes i have the cutest little baby in my practice she's three now she's sydney right she's one of the first like after i got through my postgrad on my table brand new newborn blowout diaper on my on my table and i literally she's the cutest little girl now and you like look at her like i'm always gonna hold this over your head you had a blowout diaper on my table but that's what happens, right? You get your hands on the babies and literally they poop. Right. And why would that be, right? Well, I think the over, I mean, you, you described it really, really well. The the overarching, I think, uh, theme here is is stress. And this is going to be something that we come back to in this podcast almost every episode. Because stress is something that is ubiquitous to our culture. Distress, bad stress. Um, it's ubiquitous to our culture. And it's something that is glossed over by almost every single healthcare professional that we know, right? Either they ignore it or they tell you to go do something to take care of your stress or to stop stressing or here, take a pill because it'll block your stress, right? That doesn't serve anybody, right? The more our generation has to deal with the stress and incorporate that into our genome, the more our babies are going to incorporate that stress, that cortisol, that insulin resistance, that sex hormone binding globulin dysregulation uh, into the next generation and the gener generations after that. I mean, I think that's a through line uh, as to why our generations continually get sicker and sicker going all the way back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Um, we're exceeding our capacity to uh, fulfill our genetic mandate, right? Um, babies undoubtedly, undoubtedly incorporate stress into their genomes. They undoubtedly incorporate it. And when there's stress, they're in fight or flight mode. And when they're in fight or flight mode, things don't work the way that it's supposed to or that, they don't, that they're supposed to because you can't be in fight or flight and rest and digest concurrently you cannot be in breakdown and rebuild mode concurrently and babies are in that in that mode uh, when they're stressed um, as a chiropractor as chiropractors dr stan and i we focus almost exclusively on removing the sources of those stressors right structural stress is a very real stress if the nervous system is being impacted by vertebral subluxation or by cranial faults uh, baby will go into fight or flight mode which means digestion is going to go away um, if there's emotional stress in the household, baby will incorporate that stress 
um, into his or her experience, and it will uh, it will prevent him or her from healing uh, concurrently. If there's environmental stress, there's there's toxic stress. You know, even if it goes back a couple generations on the dad's side, there's toxic stress. He was exposed to something uh, environmentally that can affect the baby's genome, and so it behooves us to really look deeply uh, to cut out all the the nonsense. Um, and remove the garbage so that baby can do what baby's programmed to do. It's very, very simple. Chiropractors are in the business of removing interference. Um, what was I going to ask you, Stan? Oh, I, you know, I, I typically leave these interviews with a, a call to action. You know, I, I you have a, you have a, a, a big practice in San Diego. You're doing some great things down there to build bridges with other healthcare providers like midwives and doulas. I know you have a doula in your office that runs your birth fit affiliate. Um, what would you tell parents who are kind of on the fence about this type of thing? Perhaps they have a sick baby at home. Perhaps they have a totally healthy baby at home. What would you say to them to, uh, to move forward after listening to this? You know, it's one of those things, you know, I, I, I try to get my patients to understand that the most important healthcare avenue to go down is something called proactive syntropic care syntropic care is care that is done uh that inspires self-healing in the body right and I, I i'm obviously biased we're biased to chiropractic but i have amazing acupuncturists down here the making amazing yoga therapists down here that are that are that are inspiring a lot of really amazing changes in in clients right but on one end, if there's something going on, get them to a healthcare practitioner, particularly, yes, I'm super biased, a chiropractor who's going to be able to identify birth trauma, right? Who's going to be able to identify those different, those different trajectories that potentially led down, led baby down a path of fight or flight or some sort of stress pattern, right? And then get, keep that baby under care until you can get to a place where it is proactive, where it is actually preventative, right? Per, true prevention, you know, like obviously primary, secondary, tertiary, quaternary prevention, right? All those different levels. Primary prevention is it, right? Primary prevention is actually living accordingly to our innate genetic potential, our innate genetic, genetic mandate, right? That says you're supposed to live a certain way, right? And once you get to a place where you are actually proactive, Meaning you could have a totally happy, healthy baby, right? Healthy, quote unquote. Um, but when you actually take them into a chiropractor, a lot of times we can identify some underlying stress. And it doesn't mean that that's like life or death in that moment, right? But it does mean that there's some sort of disconnection between that brain and body that may not be causing reflux now, right? But if unaddressed, can lead to certain physiological patterns that lead to, you know, a lot of the common stuff we see today, right? And so, number one, you know, we're we're both uh, members, and obviously, you've already got your certification. I'm powering through my test right now for the CACCP. You know, with the IC, with the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association. You know, if you're in San Diego, give us a call, right? If we're not the right fit, we'll find someone for you. But a lot of respects, find a chiropractor who is trained in identifying that birth trauma one and two allowing you the opportunity to experience what true prevention is and what true proactive care is, right? 
I love that. that. Yeah, I, you know, Stan, Stan brought something up at the end there that I think is important because I talk about it all the time. Listen, it, we, we love taking care of kids, right? It's a, it's our greatest passion. And really, you got to understand, guys, that this is not about us at all. This is about changing the trajectory of healthcare for our children. And so if you're not in our area, or for some reason, we can't see you because our schedules are, are backed up, or for some reason, we will find you a referral uh, in your area to help your child uh, get taken care of. Um, sometimes it's difficult to navigate credentials and, and navigate experience and all that stuff over the internet. Um, but we will help you get there because Stan and I have a vast network of chiropractors that we trust and and care for deeply that we know can can help your children so um we'll leave with that stan thanks buddy i I appreciate you a lot that was some great content i hope our listeners really enjoyed it i'd love to have you back on sometime in the near future so we can hash a few more of these concepts out for anybody who's listening who has any questions uh please don't hesitate. Give our office a call at 805-481-1566. Like we said before, if we can't take care of you, then we can certainly find you the appropriate referral and make sure that you and your children are cared for well. Stan, buddy, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it, man. All right. Take care, guys. Bye.